Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. So last week, um, Dave did a great job, the other Dave, <laughs> did a great job about um, just talking about resurrection. <clears throat> and as I said, it set, us, it set us up for today because I was already beginning to write um, some of the things I wanted to share today, and I, but I didn't have a title. And for me, as of anything, but a title's always important. Um, I asked, asked Denise, she'll tell you, if I'm ever doing a project or, you know, starting a new, something new, I always want to give it a name as early as possible, um, is the Adam in me. That's a whole other sermon. So, this, this, the title of today's uh, message is called From Resurrection to Reconciliation. From Resurrection to Reconciliation. Um, if you haven't listened to last week's sermon, please do. Listen to the words and wisdom that was shared about the resurrection. As we know, the resurrection is the foundation of our faith. It is literally the defining factor between us and everything else. Um, I shared this with someone at, at work this week, discussing the Christian union that, um, that runs at work. And we both came to the conclusion that despite the influences of other faiths in our school and, and, and the different things that they're doing, the prayer that they're putting on for different faiths, that's okay, whatever. If we pray, something happens. Amen. And so we don't fear others. Will, if anything, we welcome the challenge like Elijah on Mount Carmel. We say, okay, you pray, we'll pray, and let's see who answers with fire. And we know that we have a God who answers with fire because he is a God who is alive. He is a God who cares. That's one thing that the leper discovered. Not in my notes, but here we are. The leper discovered, if you remember, when he came to um, Lord, if you are willing, heal me. I believe the leper was fully convinced as to the power that Jesus had. He was fully convinced of the capacity that Jesus had to heal. But it's whether he would be willing to heal and that's a whole different conversation because that speaks to the intent of someone's heart indeed when I was praying this morning about the situation I'm dealing with myself and my health and I said to the Lord I said Lord I know your intentions towards me are good so regardless of what life says at the moment your intentions towards me the way your heart is positioned it's good I know that you are willing I know that you care enough to want to do something and that's evidenced by Calvary and the empty tomb. He cared enough to want to do something and therefore um, did not consider the glory of heaven something to be to hold on to too tight. But he left it and came for us. And indeed, he has intervened in, in life and in the, the narrative of, of humanity to such an extent that the resurrection still empowers individuals daily um, even to this day and, and Dave shared last week about the, the, the fact that was it 4 billion individuals listened to the resurrection being discussed at the, at the, at the Queen's funeral now, now whatever you think about that you know whether you think 4 billion people were actually listening um, 
whether it was on in the background or not, just to have that momentum been released over the earth. This was not a, an English thing. This was not a Great Britain thing. This was a global moment, and four billion, over half the population of the world, heard at least a moment of the truth about the resurrection. And that moves us into this idea of reconciliation, and we'll discuss that from Second Corinthians 5. But before I do that, I want to share, share a vision I saw three years ago, so yeah, 2019. Um, it was just as I heard some of the things that were being discussed last week, the Lord said, well, put this at the beginning, so it'll make sense somehow. Um, it's entitled Angels in London, um, and it was three days, I believe, before Boris Johnson took power, okay? So this was just three days before he was set in. So July 21st, 2019, I think it was about three, four days, so before Boris Johnson took power, I had a vision of angels arriving in London. There were a great many, and I saw them landing in the parks and the green spaces of London. They were massive and armed, yet graceful in their flight and descent. And as they, land, as they landed, their light was dimmed temporarily as they blended into the shrubs and trees, and then they waited. Okay. I then saw a scroll above London, and I saw the hand of the Lord writing upon it. He wrote the following words, Brownsville, Lakeland, Toronto. Names of the revivals of the past. And then he wrote London on the scroll. And that was it. That's what I saw in the first instance. That was 21st of July, 2019. But then on the 7th of February, 2020, I was actually walking through Regent's Park with a friend of mine and we were just praying and I actually saw the angel standing over Regent's Park. He rose several meters into the sky, straddling the whole park and in his hand he held a golden trumpet and he was facing eastward. He then, he then began to blow on his trumpet and I heard the father say, the song of the Lord will be heard on the trumpet. I began to wonder why the angels would choose the gardens of London to land and then to wait. And then the Lord showed me. The angels recognized the parks to be the closest revelation of the Father's creativity here on earth. And nature itself reveals his glory. Just as it was in Eden, God has decided that the green spaces, the gardens of London, will usher in his next move of his presence among us. Let it be. Exciting stuff, isn't it? So next time you're walking through the park. Yeah, watch out. <laughs> there could be an angel in the, in the bush next to you. Oh my gosh. Um, Literally, the, the angel I saw in Regis, um, Regis Park was massive. I mean, words, like, we don't have the words to describe how big <laughs> this thing was. It was like, I felt like I was just standing by the foot, and the foot itself was bigger than anything I'd ever seen. And, like I said, just started to blow on this trumpet. And 
the reason why they would hide themselves in the gardens is because that's, they reminded them of Eden. And the Lord has designated the garden spaces of London to be his Eden, where his presence is released. Can we turn to 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 21? We're literally just going to read through, um, not necessarily every single word and every single line upon line, precept upon precept, but we are going to go through this, um, these seven verses. So verse 14 you know, what a start to a, to a closing statement of this chapter. For the love of Christ controls and urges and impels us because we are of the opinion and conviction that if one died for all, then all died. I checked it in the Greek, in the Hebrew, in the Spanish. That word all is the word all. It means all. Okay, no one has been excluded from Calvary. The thing that is about this opening scripture, it challenges the moral foundation of our efforts to evangelize and convert non-believers. Okay? Are we doing what we do? Are we going through the motions of church? Are we maybe sharing the gospel because of any some sense of self-pride to boost us up? Maybe we've been mocked at, at work. And so we're trying to prove a point to score back at those who maybe mocked us or sidelined us because of our faith. That shouldn't be the reason why we act. Are we praying for the sick because we want all the attention to be on us so that we can maybe take some sort of glory and, and be validated in our, the Sundays that we've spent away from our family? Are we looking for man to celebrate us? Or is it the love of Christ that controls and urges us. I believe in the King James it says, the love constraineth us. Okay? The Lord, as, as you well know, uh, began to speak to me about healing the sick back in January 2011. Six months later, um, I was on the train, well, I was in the tube station at Westminster. Okay, now Westminster Tube Station, if it's still the same as it was back then, um, it has this really long flight of stairs. And it was in the summer, so I was on holiday. Um, yeah, obviously, people were on their lunch break, this, that, and the third. And as is my custom, moving quite fast through London, I'm skipping down the stairs, not even holding onto the handrail, you know, just on my way. And at the bottom of the stairs was a businessman in a full suit, right? And it was quite warm in, in that day. But he's in a full suit, so you can see he's sweating. And he was on crutches. And I'll never forget, as I, as I went down, and he was walking up, our, our eyes met. And for that brief second, I experienced something which I've now experienced and I have language for, but it was the first time I'd ever experienced it. It's like my body went hot and cold in a split second. And in that moment, every single inch and ounce of his frustration hit me. The fact that he had to go up these stairs on crutches. The day that he'd had, the inconvenience of trying to get around London, the pressure of being a businessman in the centre of London and yet being, you know, 
on crutches and, and, and everything that he was going through, whatever it was, I felt this and it hit me and it, in like two seconds. And it hit me so hard, it stopped me at the bottom of the stairs. And I remember looking back at him just, and I was like, Lord, what was that? And he said, compassion. He said, if you don't feel, if you don't feel what they feel, you cannot heal the sick. It has to be the love of God that compels us. I can't remember who said it, um, but if uh, someone said, if you're going to preach on hell, preach it with tears in your eyes. One of the great preachers of the past. Why is it that we, or why have we over time allowed pride to get into the mix when it should only be about love? It should be that when we see things that are not of God, that it breaks our heart first before moving our hand. But for too long, we have tried to be busy about the things of God without ingesting what it means to be custodians of the love of God. And that's why we don't have the results that we need to have or that we desire to have. Yes, I have, I've got testimonies for days about you know, the Lord healing the sick and the things that I've seen and, and some of the great incredible things, but there's been more time spent on my couch learning about the love of God one-to-one than anything else. And I've actually seen more success, if I want to use that phrase, that word, I've seen more as the revelation of his love has grown in my heart. And now it's not I'm healing you because this is what us Christians do. It's because I care. Again, going back to the leper, it's the willingness, it's the, it's the compassion, it's the I see this and it, it something about it sets me off. That's why I, I, I cry. I cry a lot. Because I've asked the Lord to keep my heart sensitive enough that I never go into just purely works. When it's like, okay, we've got another 10 people to pray for. And I say this now because we will be the church on 40 shared division where the church becomes a hospital where the sick come in and every single one of us have a bed that we are assigned to heal that person who has been brought into our midst. It's not just for the people at the front. It's not just for the worship team. It's not just for S.H.I.E.L.D. or whatever. Every single person had a bed and one person came and was, was delivered, healed, whatever, set free. They went and another person came. So whether you've been here for two months, two minutes, 20 minutes or, or whatever, every single person had a role to play in the move of God. And so every single person has to satisfy this scripture that the love of God is that which compels us. When I saw that man, I felt angry. I felt anger, not just his anger and his frustration, but the anger from heaven. There's been times at work when I've heard things and I'm hearing about different illnesses or whatever, and I felt angry. And Lord, what do I do with this? What do I do? He goes, pray. But I'm angry. Pray. <laughs> this is the best time to pray. That's my anger. That's my wrath. Why? Because the wrath of God is directed against anything anything that interferes with his love okay I've shared that story before but he, I'll share it again Damon Thompson talks about how he 
came to that revelation when a good friend of his was in a um, was in a hospital bed, and he arrived on the red eye flight, and he was there at two three in the morning, seeing her battling cancer in her body. And he said he would do anything to climb in her body, find the cancer, and rip it out. That was the violence with which the love of God compelled him. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violence taken by force. Coming like a child. The two don't match unless you realize that coming like a child is the most violent act of faith you can have. Because a child fully submits to the love of God, places its trust in him above all things. Say this with me. We are controlled, urged, and impelled by love. So reconciliation should never be done out of a legalistic framework which demands activity over love. Instead, reconciliation is an extension of the relational truth of our salvation. We are continually saved as we stay close to the one who saves. It's in that relation. The more I stay with him, the more things I dealt with. Yes, I am saved. Yes, I have my ticket punched. I'll be there in heaven. Me and David are going to have a great conversation. But whilst I know that, the resurrection tells me this, and my faith in the resurrection, and I know it, there is also this process of being made new whilst I'm here. And the closer, as close as I am to the fire, the more it purifies. And then I start to burn. And as a burning one, others in my midst, they start to burn. And then they're purified as a result. And so it takes the responsibility of us to do all the saving. That's not for us. We just sow the seed. It's the only thing that's been asked of us. It's just sow seed. The Holy Spirit will come and do the rest. question is how prepared are we for the all to be brought into church what about those people that have some wacky ideas what about those people that are a bit off center they maybe dress a little bit different to what you would expect I'm just talking about the Christians there's a few out there what about the ones that maybe don't line up with your eschatology Maybe they're pre and your post or whatever. What about the ones who always are the first to shout, always are the first to do this, and they offend you by their activity? Again, still talking about the Christians. And then, okay, now we go to what about those, you know, the drug dealers, and are we prepared for the all to walk into this building? it says in that scripture that he died for all that is the essence of this love that compels us so if we are truly saying that we are urged and compelled by the love of God we must be prepared for the all to walk in here those that have a different political view to you those that have a different idea of 
creation, let's say. Science, conspiracy theories. The all is the all that he died for. Verse 16. Consequently, from now on, we estimate and regard no one from a purely human point of view in terms of natural stands of view, of value, sorry. No, even though we once did estimate Christ from a human viewpoint and as a man, yet now we have such knowledge of him that we no longer in terms of the flesh. Okay, we no longer see him just in terms of the flesh. The Holy Spirit asked me when I was reading this, he said, what eyes do you see the world through? Is it the eyes of social media? Is it the eyes of secularism? The eyes of nationalism? Or the eyes of the beloved? Can we as a community come to the point where we say that everything we gaze upon, we gaze through the eyes of love? Because if we were to do that, we would see the legacy of Christ and Calvary more than the legacy of Adam. The legacy of Adam is a fallen world. The legacy of Christ is a world redeemed. Every single person, part of that all that walks in here, has been paid for. Every single person has been paid for. Every single moment of their life before this point, right now, and forevermore, has been paid for by the same blood that got you in this seat. So who are we to look at someone who has as much blood spilt on the altar as I have? Who am I to look at that person and condemn them because of what they dress like or what they believe about the tribulation? How many church splits could have been avoided if we simply look through the eyes of the beloved? It's bigger than just doctrine. It's bigger than, okay, okay, we can figure that out later. I love you, brother. I love you, sister. Let's do this together in love. We talked about it earlier. We, oh, we sang about it. We've seen the power of love. It's perfectly detailed for us at the cross, with the cross and with the empty tomb, the power of love that one man's open arms could, recti- could rectify the course of history itself. And yet we choose the lesser. We choose Adam's legacy. We choose to define everything by every person, by their mistakes and by their sins and by their, their, the way they present themselves. And if it doesn't look like some sort of uh, moral value that we established in I don't know, 1866 about what a Christian should look like and how they should sound in church and how they should pray. Denise and I pray completely different. Completely different. And when we first started praying together, I had to get over the fact that she prays differently to me. Yeah, I'm going to be real. (laughs) How much do you share? How much trouble do you get into? (laughs) Ever so we share. But it was was an experience. It was like... (laughs) 
But with all the differences in how we pray, when we were <laughs> when we were dating, she used to mention about this thing, you know, up, up, you know, what are you doing tonight? I'm just gonna cocoon. What? Gonna cocoon. To cocoon, okay, to cocoon, let me translate, is to hide yourself away with Jesus. Years before I had my encounter hiding myself away from Jesus, the one who prays differently to me, who I made turn around and go, oh, that's different, that's interesting, was cocooning and found something that I found years later. Now, it would be very easy for people to assume and see everything I've been doing and assume that I knew how to cocoon. But I didn't. I learned that years after she did. But on the surface, people would assume because of the Christian standard, oh, you're doing this, you're in Norway, you're over here, you're doing all this stuff. You must know X, Y, Z. No, no, that happened in 2017. So you mean to tell me when you went to Norway and 20 people were healed out of the 20 that came up for prayer, at that point, you did not know how to hide yourself away with Jesus. Yes, I'm telling you that. So if we always attract ourselves or define ourselves by what we define as Christian then we may actually miss Christ and that's one of the most sobering things I've had to learn over the past five years that a lot of the things I defined as Christian were helping me to miss Christ and I had to strip all of them away to find Christ and then put them back on with a new perspective, no longer looking at him through just a human point of view, but now through the eyes of the beloved. John 3.16, we all know it. For God so loved the world, that word there, the world, cosmos. Okay, it speaks of the arrangement and the order of things. The very order of things has been redeemed. So what is our challenge? What is our responsibility as Christians? It is to bring whatever comes in with a sense of disorder and it's to bring it back to the order that's already been purchased at Calvary. So that's what it is for healing. When, when I'm praying for healing, my, my prayer, when I first started doing this stuff, my prayers were so elaborate. Oh, so much junk in there. And I realized I was praying so many words in order to overcome my own sense of insecurity. My own sense of, again, it's that Christian standard. If you're going to pray for healing, you've got to pray like this. You've got to say that scripture. Don't forget that scripture. Remember Jehovah Rapha. Put that in there. Don't miss this. And if you don't say amen in the right way. And we have this formula, a pattern. What must be said and yet the woman with the issue of blood, no words were even said. She just touched. There was something about the force of nature that Christ inhabited as one who is beloved that literally healing would just flow. It was so, it was so powerful that the scripture, John says that the healing power of God was present. Imagine, you see Jesus there and it was so, the healing power, so it was like another person was in the room. 
The healing power was present to heal. And then you read the scripture, as he is, so are we. Verse 17, again, we're going to just touch a bit more on that. So we, we all know this scripture. Therefore, if any person is engrafted in Christ, the Messiah, he is a new creation, a new creature altogether. The old, previous moral and spiritual condition has passed away. Behold, the fresh and new has come. Jesus can't help himself but bring things into the newness of life. And that's what the woman who had the issue of blood, she's no longer the woman with the issue of blood because she's healed. So the woman who had the issue of blood, this is what she discovered. That literally, the, I don't want to call it a life force, but what does the scripture say? He felt virtue, divine energy, it's described, I think, in the Amplified. That when she touched the hem of his garment, something, he felt something depart from him. What was it? It was the same thing that is described in Colossians 1.17, where it says that by him all things consist and are held together. Everything is held together by him. He is the very essence of creation and therefore the very essence of creativity. For me to create something out of nothing is for me to literally release Christ into a situation because he specializes in creating something out of nothing. We see this in Genesis 1. There was nothing and then the word went forth and there was something. There was nothing and the nothing was described as chaos and the Holy Spirit brooded above the waters. And something came out of nothing. Hebrews 1.3, can we just take a little detour to Hebrews 1.3? There's just one little phrase that I want to just bring to our attention. Thank you, Father. You got it? If, if you're ever struggling to see Christ, just read Hebrews 1 for an hour. Um, such an incredible, I think it's one of the best openings to a book. I mean, Hebrews is my favorite book, but I do feel like it's one of the best openings. Um, but here it says in verse 3, He is the sole expression of the glory of God, the light being, the outraying or radiance of the divine. And he is the perfect imprint and very image of God's nature, upholding and maintaining and guiding and propelling the universe. Let me say that again. Upholding and maintaining and guiding and propelling the universe by his mighty word of power. That's, I just want us to stop there. Most people read that and interpret that as the power of his word. It's the word of his power. We don't even need to get to the power yet. It's just the very word of it is enough to keep the universe maintained, upheld, guided, and propelling. Just the word of his power. It's almost like just the rumor that there was a being able to 
do what he says he can do is enough to cause everything to come into order. And that's why, you know, um, was it Gloria Gaither when she sings that song, you know, and she says, Jesus, the name above all names. You know, she goes through a whole spiel. It's, it's, it's the name that shepherds rejoice at. It's the name that um, demons quake at at the same time. A name that can set someone free can also cause a devil to flick. Like, the, the power within this name, if only we would recognize what has been entrusted to us in the gift of his name. Again, it says all authority and all power has been given unto him, and Christ said it in front of his disciples. He said, and I give to you all authority and power. Study in whichever language. All is all. Every single shred of authority and power that exists in the universe has been wrapped and enfolded into the name of Christ. And that's what's been given to us. Again, he is the very essence of creation. Everything exists because of him. I, I saw a, um, a video of a bunch of atheists discussing the science of, of the earth. And they said an incredible truth that points to God without them realizing it. That if the earth was to stop spinning for one second, we would all fly eastwards at 800 miles per hour. Okay? If gravity was just to stop working for one second, 800 miles per hour, even Dorothy doesn't know how to move that fast. Okay? We're going that way, whichever way is east. 800 miles. And yet, it's never happened. And you know what he says about that spinning? He says, my word is more sure than that spin. The confidence you have when you go to bed tonight that tomorrow morning you'll wake up and it will be morning. And you won't be 800 miles per hour somewhere else. <laughs> I don't know, Jerusalem or something. Like <laughs> the confidence you have in that fact that all being well, I'm waking up tomorrow and it will be morning. Whether I like it or not, whether I love my job or not, whether my alarm goes off or not, whether I sleep through my alarm, it will be morning at some point in the next 24 hours. All of us are okay with that fact. No, no one's going to dispute that. And yet the Father says, the word, my word, my Jesus, is more sure than that. That that would have to cease before my word would ever cease. Can you not feel that, that tingle of faith start to go down your spine? Okay, we've not even looked at a promise, we've not even looked at a story, I've not given you an example, but, but it's just science. Science itself has told me that I'm okay. I'm gonna be okay. Because it's never happened in the history of Earth that there's been a moment where that has ceased. 
And I know that what I have is even more, is stronger than what's keeping me on this planet. More true, more sure, more dependable. The rock upon which I stand. The very essence of creation. Creation is held together by Christ himself. And so until you find me a moment where creation fails, we good. I'll share this story real quick and then we'll get into the rest of the scriptures. When I was at uni, I, I used to have these radical, well, I still have them in my head, but I used to have these radical ideas of like, let me just test that scripture. Okay, let me just see. So you know the scripture says creation is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God? Was it Romans 8? So there's one time, right? I'm in Birmingham. I can take you to the road where it was, um, just off Westminster Avenue in Handsworth. I'm walking to the bus stop, and there was a stray dog. Now, not just any old stray dog. We're not talking about a little hoo-hoo-hoo. We're talking about that kind of stray dog where you're like... You know that kind of? And there were some Jehovah's Witnesses on the road at that time. The stray dog was going literally from one side of the road to the other, going under the car. You couldn't predict its movement. It was just all over the place and moving at speed. As you can imagine, the Jehovah's Witnesses weren't really comfortable with this dog running around. So they started to find shelter in the porches of this, like people would, people were like, whose dog is this and where has it come from? So I've got to walk down this road to get to my bus stop. I don't like dogs in that way, okay? I don't mind the ones that are at Calais Street, they're, they're good. <laughs> but most other dogs, we don't have a natural affinity, okay? Let alone the strays, let alone the wild strays. So I'm walking down this road and I'm, I'm hearing commotion after commotion. And then I look. And where that curtain is there, the dog stops, looks my direction and starts to come my way. Now I have a decision to make. I'm quite a good footballer, but I'd probably get locked up if I was to go for the kick. So I thought, how, are we, how am I gonna deal with this? And the scripture came to me. Creation waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. So I said, under my breath, stop. 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 It's still going. And I said, you're waiting for me. Stop. And it stopped right at my feet. And looked at me. Now, I didn't really know what to do at this point because I was like, oh, it worked. <laughs> I still got to get in my bus. So I said, okay, here we go. I'm going to go get my bus. You're waiting for me. So I started to walk and it just trotted alongside of me. All the Jehovah's Witnesses on the street were like, and I'm just walking with this dog. I walked with the dog for half the road. It's quite a long road. I got to the end of the street and I said, talking to the dog, I said, well, I'm going this way. <laughs> so I don't know where you're gonna go, buddy. 
but you can't come with me. And sure as day, it looked to me, went and scampered off. Creation's waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. Did it with the rain once. Elijah stopped the rain. I left my house. It was a half an hour journey to uni from where I lived to the bottom of the hill. I had to go down Broad Street and I'd forgotten a coat. Now, if you forget a coat in Birmingham, it's not a good idea because it rains. And when it rains, like you get drenched. So I'd forgotten my coat, too late to turn back and it started to rain. And I remember saying, Lord, if Elijah stopped the rain and he had an inferior covenant, you know those like bits of scripture start coming to you? <laughs> it's like Hebrews 17. <laughs> if Elijah stopped the rain and he had an inferior covenant, then how much more so I? So I said, Father, please just stop the rain until I get to uni. It stopped. I walked to uni. I... <laughs> As soon as I walked under the canopy at uni, it started again. Okay, this stuff works. I've tried it a few times since, it hasn't worked every single time. But the word of his power is upholding the universe. Just the very word of his power. We can ask for his power later, but just, just the word of it. That's all I need. All I need is just a word. Let's go to um, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18 to 19. But all things are from God, who through Jesus Christ reconciled us to himself, received us into favor. This is what reconciled means, okay? This is the reconciliation bit. He's received us into favor, brought us into harmony with himself and gave to us the ministry of reconciliation, that by word and deed, we might aim to bring others into harmony with him. We all know what harmony is. And this was the phrase, this is the word that stuck out, uh, stuck out to me the most. The fact that actually to be reconciled to God is to be brought into harmony. That whatever note he's singing, I'm singing a note that compliments him. My life is a note that compliments heaven. Everyone here who is of the body of Christ, your life is in harmony with heaven. The dance is complete, the song is now being sung. But notice it says he brought us into harmony with himself. And and it speaks to a restoration. But you can't restore something unless it was already there first. And so the common understanding that our story started in sin and disorder, we need to shed that. Actually, you started in harmony. You started in perfect sync in that dance that we've spoken about before, the perichoresis. The, your steps were in order. Adam was in order. Everything was in order. We talked about earlier that cosmos. The arrangement of things was perfect. And then it fell out of sync. And for 4,000 years at least, give or take, there was no excuse. And there was no way back 
to Eden. And then Jesus. And at Calvary, and the empty tomb, all of a sudden, everything was put back in order. I like to say it was like music to the Father's ears. That harmony, that whatever note was being released by the earth, linked in, and it it was in harmony with the note that was being released by heaven. This is the reality of the the story of, of Calvary, that we are now in harmony. I'm back in harmony. And when I was reading through this earlier, the Lord began to say to me, this is what my shalom is all about. It's that perfection and that wholeness that harmony brings. And this is what he said. He said, your spirit man has been restored to a place of shalom. That's the Hebrew. And irene is is the... um, is the Greek. It's the word that um, Jesus used when he said, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, my peace. Okay, I think it's John 14 where he says that. Irene. It's spelled like Irene. E-I-R-E-N-E. Peace, harmony, tranquility. Nothing missing, nothing broken. So our spirit man has been restored to this place of perfect peace, shalom. Nothing missing, perfect harmony, tranquility. But this is why the psalmist looked to his soul and said, why are you disquieted within me? Because actually the challenge is for us as Christians to do the work and let the word of God affect our soul man so that our soul man matches the peace and harmony that has already been purchased and is already established in our spirit man. Do, do you follow? Our spirit man is already in perfect harmony, but the soul man may be all over the place. Discord, literally, a chord that is dissonant. I feel like Ray Hughes on that one. That was good. <laughs> Discord, that, 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 it's out of sync. And so, the psalmist says, why art thou disquieted within me? Get back in line. Get in line with what has been purchased. And this is why when we sometimes see a disconnect between our life and what we know the scripture says, we sometimes focus on the wrong thing and we start to change the scriptures because of what our life has said. But no, it should be life. Why are you disquieted? Get back in line. Get back in line. I am the healed of the Lord. I don't know how much pain I'm in right now. Right at this very moment, I'm in pain. Because of what I'm facing. But I am the healed of the Lord. So I command that which is afflicting me to get into line. And I'm going to wait. Because sooner or later, get in line. And this is why the ministry of healing becomes even more simple when you just realize it's just a matter of correction get in line this is a child of God get in line 
This is the redeemed of the Lord. Get in line. Yeah, but what if they're not saved yet? The world, cosmos, everything's been put back in order. So we can lift someone out of their sin by just the very words we say, even before they even accept it. How do I know that? Because how many disciples healed the sick before Calvary? And they were forgiven. Get in line. Or get in sync, get in harmony. Romans 5, feels like this is in the house. <laughs> Romans 5, um, 5 1, we're not going to necessarily read through it, but it speaks about the peace of reconciliation, right? Um, yeah, grasp the fact that we have the peace of reconciliation to hold. The shalom of re- reconciliation brings with it peace. Okay? But notice where it says, let us grasp it. It's already there. There is a peace of reconciliation, but we have to, by faith, grasp it. Well, is that peace? It's the nothing missing, nothing broken, wholeness given by God and to enjoy that peace with God. See, loads of times we, we, are, we are very much aware that we can get peace from God. Okay? We're okay with that, most Christians. Yep, I received my peace from God. But what about the peace with God? This is where Hebrews has the boldness to say, let us therefore go before the throne of grace. Boldness. Boldly go before it. Because I have peace with God not just peace from God peace with God the two of us were good because of his love because of his faithfulness because of his salvation we're good verse 20 and verse 21 and then we obviously we leave it there verse 20 in sorry 2 Corinthians 5 Verse 20. Let us grasp the fact of our peace of reconciliation. So, having read all this, having, having, having seen that the love of God compels us, okay? Um, sorry, in, in the Passion Translation, it says the love of God fuels our passion and holds us tightly. Okay, having the love of God compel us and, and realizing that actually we are to see things through the eyes of the Beloved because Christ himself is the very essence of creation, now we are Christ's ambassadors. God making his appeal as if, as it were, through us. We, as Christ's personal representatives, beg you, those listening, for his sake, to lay hold of the divine favor now offered you and be reconciled to God. Every single being on the face of this planet has been offered divine favor. There is a better way. There is a different way. There is a more. There's more happiness. There's more content. Contentment. There's more tranquility. There's more hope. You have a hope. You have a peace. But there is another peace. There is another hope. That's the divine, lay hold of the divine favor. We beg them for, for his sake, knowing what he went through, knowing what 
he endured. Know what he sacrificed. For his sake, we make this appeal. Okay? It's not so that I get any notches on my, on, on my scorecard or whatever, or that I get any sort of, it's not for my own reward, it's because this is the reward of his sacrifice. He's the one who suffered. He's the one who shed the blood. I've not yet resisted until the shedding of my blood. Whatever I go through doesn't compare to what he went through. And so for his sake, please, I beg of you, there is a divine favor you can hold on to. And it's more than just punching a ticket to heaven. It's literally that every single moment of your life from this point onwards will be dripped and soaked in a favor that makes it an unfair advantage from this point on. It's no longer a level playing field because I have the divine favor. Favor isn't fair, it's just favor. My old pastor used to say that. And so verse 21. So it says, for his, like, come on guys, like lay hold of this divine favor that has been offered to you, that has been made available to you. And the verse 21 now makes sense because now this is the message of reconciliation. This is the message we go out with. For our sake, he made Christ virtually to be sin who knew no sin, that in and through him we might become endued with, viewed as being in, and examples of the righteousness of God. What we ought to be, approved and acceptable and in right relationship with him by his goodness. I am who I ought to be. I am approved and acceptable and in right relationship with him. How? By his goodness. That is the ministry and the message of reconciliation. The love of God compels me to say to you who do not know him, come on, he who knew no sin. For so long, I've heard this scripture in isolation. Verse 21, he knew no sin, became sin. But it's even more beautiful when you read it in light of the previous chapter, really. We could have started from verse 1 but then we'll be here tomorrow. But just those seven verses, 14 to 21, and the little that I've shared, because there's so much more that we could have really dug into. It could be a seven-week series. It's enough, hopefully, to light a fire. And now the natural response as a Christian, knowing that I'm an ambassador of Christ, who by him all things are held together, and the very arrangement of things has been set into set right. If I'm an ambassador of him, my responsibility is to find disorder and bring it to order. Find disorder and bring it to order. Find those areas that previously you may not have gone into, those conversations that you may not have entered into. I have this, I'm going to put it on record now because it's been recorded. I have this dream that's constantly in my head. There's a few individuals that are in the media who really love to get on people's nerves. Interviewers. You may now think, oh, it must be this person he's talking about. And I keep seeing in my head, me on Newsnight or 
late night with so-and-so. And I'm there, and they're throwing all these questions and really accusations at me. And the Lord gives me a word of knowledge. And my answer is not the answer to the question that they're trying to throw. Oh, but how could you believe in God when... Hey, you know your uncle and the news you got last night? I just want to pray for you right now. Before we get into the answer to your question, can I just share, or can I pray for, how did you even know reconciliation? And for me, it's about reconciliation above being right. I don't need to be proved right on the, 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 the minute. Reconciliation, I can just bring you in into order and I'll let the Holy Spirit do the rest. So now we no longer have to fear challenge. We don't have to fear darkness. We shouldn't anyway, because Isaiah 60 says that even when great darkness is covering the earth, the glory of the Lord shall be seen upon us. So it's given to us to be the light of the world. Jesus said it, I am the light of the world. And he also said, you are the light of the world. And you know what? He used the same word. It wasn't big light, little light, (laughs) you know, like Peter and the rock thing. No, no, it was the same word, light. You are the same light that he declared himself to be in this world. And his light was so strong that there were not enough books in the world to be able to recount what happened in those three years. So today we start writing our own book. Our book will contain sentence upon sentence, paragraph upon paragraph, detailing the story of light, how light broke out in this community. And one by one, stories began to come in of how darkness was overturned, depression was fleeing, sickness was fleeing, poverty was fleeing, because light was just being shunned. And when the light shone, it gave an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to do what he does best, and to bring the chaos into creativity chaos into creation and to bring that which is out of sync into sync and the disorder into order thank you Father Father I thank you that this season you know Bible numbers you know 11 the number of disorder I just felt the Lord just say 11 is now 12 So Father, this, yeah, we're just going to, I'm just going to just declare it. We have left the season of disorder. This church community, not only just on an individual basis, but as a community and as a church family, we declare it right now that we have left the season of disorder and we move into your divine order into your 12 in the name of Jesus and we receive your instruction Holy Spirit that we may maintain uphold and propel ourselves into the future of your divine instruction and authority Father, we kill any pride, any any remaining calves that are 
still there that have kind of got in the way of us receiving your instruction. We declare it over the worship team, over the media team, over S.H.I.E.L.D., over the children's church, over every single department. No more disorder. In the name of Jesus. The season of your order is here. And if that be the case, we now get excited, Father. Because when you set things into order, your glory comes. Every time you moved into a temple or a tabernacle and you brought order, then the glory would come. And when the glory comes, we also know the fruit comes after. And so we celebrate you, Father, because as was sung last week and even this morning, whilst we were setting up, the lion is on the move. And all we need to see is a cloud the size of a man's fist. And that's enough for us to run with renewed impetus and vigor knowing that you're doing what you promised you would do. Let's just give God praise. We praise you, Father. We praise you, Father. We praise you. Son of God, be glorified. Thank you, Father. Yeah, I just really want to just encourage you guys and everyone listening to this. Do not let your voice fall silent. Okay? Do not let your voice fall silent concerning the things of God, concerning this ministry. Do not let maybe the lack of something, dot, 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 cause you to be silent. As soon as we started praying in tongues, I literally heard the Lord say, out of many, one. Many tongues. We need every single tongue to be loosed and to release the promises and the faithfulness of God. Because when that happens, he would then build the one church in his image. Thank you, Father. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 